All right. Um, hello and welcome everyone to another um, see another uh, talk in cybersecurity uh, security seminar. Uh, today, it's my pleasure to introduce uh, Sankit, uh, who is uh, the founder and CEO uh, at Palisade, um, a company that builds uh, modern AI-powered um, cyber threat intelligence. Um, and uh, uh, whose goal is to um, defend against different companies uh, from AI weaponized uh, adversaries. Um, before uh, Hal said he was uh, the SVP of engineering for Coupa, um, where he built um, the cloud and cybersecurity organization uh, over tw 12 years uh, from the ground up. Um, and he, uh, he also held positions, engineering roles uh, at HP and uh, Qualys. Uh, Sankit, take it away. Perfect. Thank you, Kazim. All right. So uh, welcome, everyone. And uh, for me, uh, I'll start with a little bit about me. Uh, so for me, it's um, a huge coming back. Uh, I went to uh, Purdue uh, in I graduated in 2001 and I attended one of these uh, security seminars about 22 years ago. So it's, it's a great, it feels great to be back, uh, giving back to the uh, students in the community and talking to all of you. Um, I'm based out of the San Francisco Bay Area. <clears throat> um, I went to Purdue, as I said, in uh, 1999 to 2001, uh, did my master's in computer science. Uh, I was very fortunate to have as my advisors, uh, Doug Comer and also Mike Artala. Um, we did some pretty interesting projects then. Um, the I, And um, today as we are um, hearing all about AI, I find it pretty interesting. Uh, then when I was at Purdue, I was working on a uh, project for neural networks uh, with the English department. Uh, and uh, so, so Sirius has always held a light for uh, being a multidisciplinary security center. Um, as um, Kaza mentioned, uh, after uh, Purdue, I went to Qualys as a software engineer. Uh, so I was a pretty early engineer building uh, software security products. Uh, I helped them build uh, their web server fingerprinting tool, added lots of vulnerability signatures to their product, uh, built some of the early versions of application security and uh, client-side vulnerability checking. Uh, went on to HP where I broadened from doing uh, cybersecurity software engineering to also managing uh, uh, infrastructure at scale. Um, so we were managing hp.com, uh, also doing security operations for it. And then I went on to Coupa where I helped build their uh, infrastructure and security uh, from ground up. It was a great uh, learning experience. Uh, being in a financial technology company, uh, going from a 25% startup uh, to uh, becoming a 3,000 plus person public company. Uh, after Coupa, I, um, I decided that, hey, um, this is something that I enjoy and I would like to solve some of the problems that I experienced uh, as a cybersecurity practitioner. And uh, that's what I'm doing right now. 
Um, so what I wanted to share with everyone today uh, were uh, uh, I enjoy working on uh, on on this um, intersection of business and technology. Um, as much as cybersecurity is a technology discipline, uh, I think Sirius had it right many years ago that it's a very multi-disciplinary multi uh, science. And so uh, in order for cybersecurity to be successful, uh, you also need to make sure that you are aligned with the business. And so I'm going to share some uh, best practices that I have learned uh, over my career, uh, being in different roles across uh, different uh, domains. Uh, and then um, I, uh, the way I, I want to do this is I'm going to uh, set a scenario. Uh, so uh, let's imagine, I, I want you guys to imagine that you're playing the role of a CISO in an enterprise software company and I give, give some setup about how you should think about it. And then we'll go through that role. We'll look at what the objectives uh, we are trying to accomplish, what are the goals, the objectives, what are some of the obstacles we're going to face? Uh, what are some of the perils we have to avoid? And then I look at some of the uh, challenges uh, that some are resolved, some are open. Okay, so Let's let's paint the picture here. So the setup is that you are uh, working at a company. Uh, it's headquartered in Palo Alto, in California, uh, as as are a lot of enterprise software companies. Uh, it's uh, and the company's uh, two thousand employees. It has four hundred customers. It's uh, as with most enterprise software companies, they short start out in North America. Uh, so 80% of the customers are American. Uh, and then they have branched out into Europe, a little bit into Asia. Uh, and so they're gathering revenues from those places. It's a publicly listed company. Uh, it's building financial planning software. Uh, they have built some organic products, but then they also acquired some smaller companies uh, through mergers and acquisitions. And they have uh, 10 offices across the world. So they have some diversity uh, complexity, uh, mix of cultures, mix of um, uh, regulations and uh, stakeholders that they need to deal with. Okay, and then uh, going on to the technology side, uh, let's imagine that this company is uh, uh, building software using uh, modern practices. So that we, in terms of constraints, we put aside some of the um, constructs like you know having data centers or having to do with legacy uh, programming languages, uh, having to deal with um, uh, all code written in-house. So something modern that's, uh, that's practically happening right now uh, to, to make things easier to understand. And then uh, let's, let's, um, let's imagine you, you have been brought in as a, a chief security officer at this company. And so one of the most natural things to do when you're in cybersecurity is to start, start acting on the highest priority threats, right? I mean, you there's been some event that's happened and you have been brought in. And so let's let's look at the highest priority stuff. The, uh, there's the common uh, formula that uh, I'm sure some of you have been taught that, hey, risk is uh, um, uh, well, uh, threat, Times impact, and so let's uh, let's let's go go after the highest priorities. Uh, 
this leads to what I uh, call the carousel of cyber misery. Um, I'm sure there's some other uh, names that we could have for these. Um, I'm actually too happy to take suggestions, but this this what uh, rose to my mind first is that there is a security event. Uh, you bring in a person uh, to fix that event. Uh, and then along come other things that need to respond to. Uh, you need to audit vendors, you need to deploy security tools. And and uh, this, this carousel keeps spinning. At some point of time, uh, the person who was hired in, um, as you can imagine on a uh, carousel that keeps on gaining momentum is they get dizzy. Uh, they want to get off. Uh, they want to throw up and, and, or in some cases, um, the, the carousel is spinning hard enough and they are not able to hold, hold on to it and, and they get thrown off. Right. So, so this is probably not the best to do it, but, uh, happens, uh, more often than you can imagine. And, uh, so, so the pitfall here is clearly that sometimes having a clear plan of action does not mean uh, having clarity of mission, right? And and what I'm going to do is, as I go along the presentation, I'm going to try to make uh, some call-outs here. Um, and some of the call-outs are more along the lines of uh, giving you um, things to read. Um, so as, as uh, uh, cybersecurity students, I can imagine that, you know, you uh, don't just believe um, what I'm saying, uh, and uh, cybersecurity is one of those disciplines that evolves at a very fast pace. Uh, things change very rapidly, so I'm trying to give you some some things to go read and uh, learn more about it. Uh, so, uh, so one of the things to uh, read about would be I, I would uh, look at two incidents. Uh, so, uh, so it's interesting that we are doing this session on Zoom, but if you went and did this Google search. And some of you might remember, some of you might not. This was at the start of the uh, pandemic and everyone was moving online. And uh, the um, uh, Zoom uh, was starting to run into issues. There were people who were um, uh, 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 crashing the Zoom um, meetings. Uh, there were people who were changing settings. They had a, a quite of a bit of public outcry uh, to the point that uh, I remember having some meetings where uh, people are questioning if those meetings should be had over Zoom, right? And, and fast forward to 2024, uh, you don't hear much about it. Uh, but they went through that uh, phase. And so if you look at that as a case study, uh, you can see the challenges that they had and some of the, uh, the ways they addressed it. The other one would be Twitter, uh, and this is two things. So there's, there was a breach uh, where there was a takeover of a lot of Twitter accounts. Uh, some of them pretty famous um, uh, people, uh, their accounts were taken over, a lot of uh, passwords and account uh, credentials were leaked. Uh, and that also uh, led to some uh, Pretty significant uh, hiring decisions, and uh, and they were all. Uh, if you if you follow that timeline, there were two of them. So there was the initial breach, some decisions outside of that, and then also some follow-on events in two thousand twenty-two. So these would be good ones for you to guys to look at case studies. So 
Um, so that, as I mentioned, that's not a, a way um, that while that might be the approach that's taken uh, on the security side, also not a very um, great long-term strategy. So then you step back and think about it. How does the business think about uh, what are the objectives of the business? Right. Again, coming back to the game paradigm, you're trying to figure out what, what are the objectives for you to win and succeed. And it's usually no matter where you are. And again, going back to the setup, we're talking about enterprise software for profit company. Uh, so this might not apply to uh, nonprofits. It might not apply to government, uh, which is also debatable because if you look at some of the news around OpenAI, uh, which which is a nonprofit, but you can see you know a lot of the uh, decisions um, uh, and strategy are made around uh, profits. Uh, so, so the um, business objectives are usually are clear, right? It's about maximizing shareholder value, uh, making sure that the capital you have gotten from private and public investors is uh, delivering value. Uh, the employees who have joined the company are successful uh, and uh, uh, you can retain them. Um, so then you step back and ask yourself, okay, what would be a good way for me to align with the business? So run with the business. Uh, yes, there's a lot of actions to be taken, work to be done. Uh, yes, uh, I was brought in to accomplish this specific uh, objective. It could be a reaction to a security event, uh, which are some of the examples we have seen. But it, it could also be that it's not a reaction to a security event. There's a market need. For example, uh, the company wants to uh, expand into healthcare. Uh, so they need to do a HIPAA certification. They need to expand into the public sector space. So they need to do a FedRAMP certification. Um, so, you have to, uh, so you're trying to figure out how to align above and beyond uh, the short-term objective. And so one of the paradigms that I've found best uh, in my experience is to start with trust, right? So if you go back to what the business is trying to accomplish, so obviously you're not a salesperson and you can't uh, directly contribute to those. You could be collaborative, but you cannot directly contribute uh, to the sales objectives. But what uh, what does the uh, company, uh, what does the company look for from cybersecurity? And so the primary thing that they're looking for is trust. And so what's the definition of trust? If you look in the dictionary, it's the firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something. And this is a great definition because it's not just some, uh, it's both someone and, and something, right? So the uh, primary thing that the uh, business has brought you in for, and again, role-playing as a CISO, is, um, is trust. The management team wants to make sure it's someone that they can trust. Uh, the customers uh, will, uh, will purchase the product, they'll continue using the product as long as they have trust. The partners will keep doing business with your company as long as they have trust. And, and again, this uh, this was a very interesting trend in the mid 2010s. They there were companies actually having uh, titles as chief trust officers. Um, some of them uh, still do, but it didn't really take off. But I also see it coming back 
uh, with the AI companies because you know as as you know from the news uh, there's a lot of questions uh, regarding trust with AI there are questions regarding safety with AI and so we are starting to see uh, titles again uh, for chief security officers having titles around safety having titles around uh, trust uh, so that's a good starting point um, so where do you start so we start with the uh, management and the internal business matters. So I wanted to lay out um, uh, an organizational view of typically where a chief security officer reports into. And again, this is uh, uh, for many of you, uh, you might have work experience you, uh, either through internships or prior jobs, but when you go in, this is something which would be very familiar. There'll be some changes from company to company, but uh, pretty much there will be uh, a management team with executives who, are, uh, who have responsibility and accountability for a line of business. And then you have the board and the audit committee and other com committees overseeing uh, the business. Uh, and so the CISO is typically, um, reporting where the most assets and the information lies, which most companies is the chief information security officer. Um, this varies um, uh, from uh, company to company. Um, some In some cases, they might have some separation where the CISO might report to the general counsel. Uh, if, the, if it's a very uh, technical requirement, it could be reporting to the CTO. Uh, but this is not atypical. And so one of the problems that you see right away is that uh, you you need uh, to start interacting with these folks, right? And so you have a lot of people that uh, in order to fulfill cybersecurity, there's a lot of people that you need uh, to interact with, you win, need to win their trust. Uh, so you have your uh, management team, team and your counterparts in IT. Uh, you have the, uh, because you're working with customers, uh, there's a lot of requirements that are coming from uh, customers. And then uh, you have product responsibilities. And as we uh, played it out in the setup, there's multiple products. Uh, some of them might be small, some of them might be large, they might have different requirements. And so one of the interesting things here is that uh, one of the challenges of the role is that you have a large span of responsibilities with a low span of authority and a low span of resources. And it's a position of influence and that's what makes it uh, a highly challenging role. And so one of the uh, things in order to uh, become successful uh, as, as you go into this role is to understand what does success mean for all of these folks, and you'll get some very interesting answers, uh, which uh, some you might expect, some you might not. And uh, and I also have something here which I, uh, I deliberately phrased it this way: is you want to really ask open-ended questions and understand what does success mean for them, and also over a larger time span. Because if you go back to the original premise, it's possible you were bought brought in based on a long short-term event uh, to achieve a short-term objective, but you also want to understand what people would like you to do. 
over the long term and you get some pretty interesting answers. You also get some pretty interesting perspectives because not everyone is familiar with cybersecurity. Uh, it's, it's a pretty uh, uh, deep science. Uh, you need a lot of experience. You need a lot of uh, uh, the background uh, about a lot of uh, areas. And uh, so you get some very interesting perspectives and those are the pers perspectives you start with to build trust. Uh, the next area is trust with customers and regulators. Um, and one of the ways to build, build that trust um, is, is, through, um, is through certification, right? So this could be uh, something very uh, baseline. Uh, so I would recommend look, looking at NIST. Uh, they provide a lot of baseline controls uh, and programs to get started and build them over time. Uh, if customers uh, have requirements for, if they're public, they have requirements for Sarbanes-Oxley, uh, they they would require something like a, a SOC 2 report. And then there's industry-specific certifications that you can uh, implement to build trust. Uh, examples of these would be payment card industry. HIPAA, if you have uh, healthcare customers and you're a business associate, but then if you are yourself within the healthcare business, then you would need a stronger certification like high trust. Other examples of these are FedRAM if you're working with the uh, public sector. Uh, the second part of it, building trust, is making sure that you're doing the audit. So you're doing your internal audits. Uh, so you have a good understanding of where things stand. But you're also doing the audits by bringing in third parties because uh, why would you know everyone believe you for what you said? You would want to bring in someone uh, who's a neutral third party who's under uh, some kind of... Uh, regulation or certification like the uh, being a CPA and have them attached to the fact that uh, you, you're doing what you claim to be doing in your compliance program. And third part is more technical. So you have your product uh, and make sure you are communicating with your customers about any security bugs that you find uh, so that they, uh, again, everyone uh, is well aware that um, Soft, software is brittle, they, uh, they tend to have bugs. And if they don't have a, a bug that you're aware of right now, you might find it over time. And sharing uh, the fact that you have them helps build trust uh, with, with customers. If you have security incidents, again, this can be a little bit, um, you need to be careful with what you share because it might uh, be repurposed for future attacks, but also sharing in a confidential way with customers, the fact that you haven't had incidents uh, and how, what are you, what is your plan to address them is a great mechanism to build trust. And people sometimes shy away from it, uh, thinking that they would have uh, get uh, yeah get a ne negative uh, view uh, from that, but it's actually a great mechanism to build trust uh, with sophisticated customers. And the last thing is regulatory regulatory filing. So. If you, if you are uh, bounded by some regulations, make sure that you are consulting with uh, your general counsel, uh, uh, with your legal team, consulting with the uh, reg uh, regulations and doing the filings as you need them. So this, and again, I'll share some uh, case studies of where uh, people uh, might make um, 
loose interpretations but you know at some point of time those are not uh, looked upon looked uh, looked upon they don't help build, build trust um so again here some pointers to uh, case studies to read uh, there was one which was in the news uh, for for quite a while uh, around solar winds uh, where uh, they had a breach uh, the breach was in their uh, software supply chain uh, it resulted in um, the uh, 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 an attack with um, a malware being introduced into their product that malware was shipped with their software to uh, thousands of customers uh, led to loss of data uh, for uh, many uh, government agencies there was a lot of backlash uh, in the public um, and then uh, the SEC uh, has filed a lawsuit um, so so there's a lot of uh, learnings around this of how uh, how the case was handled and uh, how things could have been done differently. Um, and then this has also led to the SEC passing regulations that uh, public companies should pass, uh, should file a regulatory, regulatory filing uh, called the 8K uh, within uh, 48 hours of confirming that they have a, a, a breach. And so, uh, this has uh, started, and so you'll start seeing some filings. Uh, and this is a uh, this is pretty recent. Uh, so you'll see this start evolving. Uh, but this is also a, uh, an interesting one to look at to understand uh, where, how to, uh, what are the learnings from dealing with regulations. The next area is then trust with technology partners, and this is again an area that. Uh, uh, Chief security officers or security officers that come from a technology background, they uh, they're most drawn to. And uh, if the uh, if the uh, hiring was done to deal with uh, issues that are coming out of the product, perhaps cust uh, customers are reporting uh, scanning the product, they're testing the product, uh, they're pen testing and they're finding issues, and you have a lot of these issues to deal with. And so that could lead to getting someone who would help uh, the company deal with uh, these questions and concerns coming from customers. So this is the um, this is a very good way. Uh, the, the loop of DevOps is a good way to look at it. Um, and so you um, you start with um, the biggest area right now um, is dealing with open source software. Um, so by some studies, 60% of the software that is being developed is based on open source. And the interesting thing with open source is that unlike your commercial vendors, open source software developers, software maintainers, as they're called, are not vendors. A lot of them are uh, writing software uh, either as a hobby or because they're trying to solve a problem. Uh, they were they could not find a commercial piece of software or the a commercial piece of software was too expensive uh, and say so they wrote a piece of software. They're not looking for monetary gain right now, but they might over time. Uh, some of these folks are supported by the employers because the product that they are writing is uh, supporting the a product that the company is building. Uh, most of the projects don't have uh, a lot of contributors. And so that's a risk that comes with it. You have fewer people who are contributing the project. So there's risk that if the project is going to sustain over time, 
if those contributors either lose interest in it or have uh, are compelled to move on to other things. Uh, the uh, that also leads to questions about uh, quality. It leads to questions about is there um, is uh, will security issues as they are found be addressed, uh, which sometimes puts the uh, responsibility in the users. Uh, side uh, to go fix those issues because the uh, security issues that they find uh, perhaps uh, can be or won't be resolved uh, by the maintainers uh, either uh, because for lack of resources or bandwidth or perhaps they also don't uh, philosophically agree with it. Uh, the other uh, other thing that's starting a trend that is starting is that the sophisticated attackers are um, starting to infiltrate some some popular open source projects as contributors. And so over time, they build trust uh, with the project. Maybe they might make some commits that uh, are accepted and they build trust, they get access. And then at some point of time, uh, they in, uh, introduce malware, they introduce backdoors, and these uh, start percolating into uh, the products of the companies that are using it. So it's, it's a pretty big area of focus uh, for a lot of organizations. So open source is great. It uh, democratizes a lot of software. Uh, it, uh, it does bring the, um, uh, the, the code is open and so anyone can review it. The question that comes up is just the, because the code is up open, does it mean that people are really reviewing it? Um, so going back to the uh, uh, to this paradigm, so the um, so as a security officer, you're working with development and you're working with operations. So operations in this case is the team that is running uh, the production uh, operation. Um, and so the opportunities you have, so you have a lot of opportunities to introduce uh, security. Uh, ideally, you want to introduce security as early as possible into the cycle. So because the earlier you quash issues, um, the less likely they're going to make it to production. Uh, and so you start with introducing some policies uh, to make sure that uh, this could be how you um, intake open source software, uh, this could be uh, policies around passwords. It could be policies around making sure that uh, the software uses um, uh, all uh, no passwords are um, uh, stored in the clear, uh, or it's using secure um, authentication mechanisms. Uh, so you set policies in partnership. Uh, so again, the keyword here is partnership. You work with the development team to establish the policies uh, or to make sure that you know, code as it's being built out is built out uh, is being built out as securely as possible. Uh, then there's other uh, aspects of application security. Uh, you do software component analysis or SCA uh, to make sure all uh, components, especially open source, you have a clean uh, SBOM or a software bill of materials, uh, so you know everything that's going into the product. Uh, so again, this is something that has been done. Uh, for many years in uh, critical uh, product areas, so for example, medical devices or uh, automobiles, uh, you'll find that um, uh, some of the automobiles, for example, the one from the German manufacturers, uh, you'll either get uh, a CD or a piece of uh, a link to 
where you can find out all the software components that went into uh, the the automobile. Um, and so this has been done for many years, uh, especially in areas where the software is going into firmware, but uh, now uh, because of the uh, la uh, large scale use of open source software, this is something that is being looked at closely to make sure that we are addressing uh, the uh, issues in the software supply chain, uh, again, going back to the example that we saw uh, previously. Uh, then there's static code analysis, uh, this code reviews, uh, dynamic code analysis, uh, penetration testing both internally uh, and making sure that you are using external bug bounty programs. Uh, there's uh, also, um, uh, so you can run, now there are commercial products uh, to run bug bounty programs, what previously used to be only a vulnerability disclosure program. Uh, so that's a common way to again work with technology partners and make sure that you're finding issues within the development cycle and addressing them as soon as possible. Uh, and then moving into the operations side, you're moving into monitoring the software with, uh, with a seam. Uh, you have patches that you need to deploy, uh, firewalls, intrusion detection systems, and also configuring the software to make sure uh, that, um, that the, in spite of your, all your best efforts, to have the code secure, the product is not getting com compromised by misconfigurations. Uh, so again, this is a big area of focus right now where um, you might be putting a lot of effort into application security and uh, going back to our uh, premise, we are running this on the cloud. Um, you might have a, um, locked everything down, but perhaps you're using uh, some storage online and you left the uh, storage permissions were insecure. And as a result of that, you had data loss. Uh, that's one example. Uh, there's many other examples where you could misconfigure things in production. So, so having a good program to make sure that you're hardening things in production uh, so that uh, data is not compromised. Uh, so this is, this is a lot of stuff. And then, um, uh, as you can imagine, depending on the maturity of the security organization, they can get over very easily. I mean, this is this is a lot of stuff happening just for security. Uh, this and this is on top of the things that the company needs to do to build a product and ship the product and do it in a profitable way. Uh, so again, this is uh, the. I, um, I have personally seen it done well and not done well. So I've seen uh, people who go find a lot of security issues, uh, have a long report and then send it over to development. And uh, I don't think that would lead to building trust. This might actually lead to having people um, run away or duck when, the, when you're at the, uh, at the coffee station. So uh, a better way to do it would be to take it on yourself to make sure that you're uh, prioritizing uh, the security issues, you're contextualizing them. Keep in mind that uh, not uh, all the software engineers uh, are at your level of subject matter expertise in cybersecurity. And so making sure that you're giving them on the context of why the issue uh, is being open, uh, how it affects things, what the impact is, and a little bit of education goes a, right, a long way because 
the next time you have to put less effort into educating this uh, the developer on why the issue needs to be addressed. So you, so you got your trust with your customers, you got your trust with your uh, regulators, trust with your partners. Uh, now a little bit uh, about the uh, perils of being um, uh, a chief um, uh, security officer. So um, as you can, uh, as if you go back to the uh, organization of um, where the chief security officer, and we talk quite a bit about how it's, uh, it's a lot of responsibility across a lot of organization. And, um, and it, it can uh, be a lot of work to get to reach the objective of achieving trust. Uh, so the risks are uh, what we see in the industry is uh, around tenure. Uh, so the the role specifically the role and this doesn't extend to all aspects of cybersecurity roles, but usually at the top, it it the the tenure is typically much shorter uh, in the software industry uh, than it would be for other roles uh, in the software industry and across across industry and there's a lot of contributing factors to this, uh, this, but this is uh, what the current state is and it happens for different reasons. And I'm hoping that some of the things that I shared helps um, help some people navigate it better. Uh, the other problem is uh, authority. Uh, so again, uh, it's, it's not someone who directly reports to the CEO. And so as a, as a result of that, you're not in many uh, ex uh, business decisions that are being taken at executive level. And so while you might have some insights or concerns, uh, these happen in forums which are outside of um, the executive team. Um, and the third thing is, uh, is, uh, is coverage. So um, the... Uh, the chief security officers are typically, since they are not on the executive team, uh, they're not on the board. And so they are not typically directors of the company. As a result of that, they don't get access to something called a DNO insurance, uh, which is directors and officers insurance. And what that does, it uh, uh, indemnifies or gives protection uh, to directors of a company if they, they make certain decisions on behalf of the company and those uh, lead to certain problems. And so uh, this is something that uh, is again come under focus that, uh, that at certain companies, chief security officers are asking uh, for this insurance uh, at, because they're taking on personal liability uh, which many of them cannot afford to do, uh, both from a financial and career perspective. And so um, this is one of the areas that um, we will see more progress on uh, in terms of getting insurance coverage uh, for chief security officers. Um, so, um, so a couple of uh, pointers. To, to again learn, um, going back to the same example I pointed to before, the solar events breach, and uh, some of the things that came out of it. Another interesting case study to look at is uh, if you look at the Uber 
case uh, with the FTC um, and uh, the things that happened that led to it back in 2017, uh, but then the actions that were taken in 2021. So that's a very interesting case to look at and in terms of um, things that might look at on the surface were being handled in an appropriate way, but uh, based on regulation, there are inter different interpretations uh, and, uh, and how the law is taking its course. Um, so one of the, so, so going back to, you know, what are the obstacles that lie uh, between us achieving uh, success? Uh, so the, one of the biggest one is that uh, the frequency materiality of the attacks and the regulations uh, is just going up. In the in the twenty years that I have been in the industry, I have not seen, uh, I have not I have not seen this phase where uh, you're constantly seeing uh, the um, more attacks, large scale attacks and the materiality of the attacks is high. So for example, if you take some of the attacks on Clorox or MGM resorts, uh, the uh, the cost of those is in uh, going over $200 million. Um, there are some uh, companies that had to, that missed their earnings or they had to restate their profits uh, or, or uh, uh, reforecast their profits. Uh, and uh, because of, a cybersecurity incident. This is this is a very rare case uh, uh, of these things happening, and also the frequency of it increasing, or, or at least in the past. And then we have regulation. Uh, yeah, I talked a little bit about the eight K regulation. Um, so this is uh, weighing uh, and creating stress on uh, on security officers. Uh, in addition to that, there's they are getting a lot of information overload there's information fatigue they there's news coming in from online uh, journals and articles uh there's news alerts that they are subscribed to uh, i talked about a little bit about thing, uh, news coming from mainstream media in addition to that they are part of many uh, uh cohort groups and so they're getting um these uh threat information from different channels um, and then you also have, again, going back to the uh, the org chart, you have your uh, board members who might be sending you information or you might be reading, uh, uh, getting subscribed to newsletters from analysts uh, where uh, new threats are going, being brought up. Uh, so there's, there's this huge information overload that uh, security officers have to deal with. Uh, and the next thing is the uh, shortage of uh, skill. So as much as they, there's this um, increase in uh, information and increase in impact, uh, there's a shortage of skills. And that's that's where uh, we are we are looking to all of you and more uh, to fulfill the shortage. We we need people to uh, uh, take all all these threads and make sure that uh, we can stay on top of it. We're not staying behind it. Uh, that we can communicate with it uh, about it uh, with all of our sh uh, stakeholders. Remember, that's how we build trust and we retain trust. Uh, that's the core um, objective we are trying to accomplish, and then respond to them. Right. So any any delays that we have in responding to threat leads to delays in response, which 
which could possibly lead to uh, impact down the line. So it's a it's a virtuous cycle. Um, so again, uh, here's a few pointers to learn uh, about what the uh, the cost of a breach could be. Uh, the Fair Institute has been working on this for a few years on uh, trying to calculate risk. Uh, they have been uh, they have uh, a website which is tracking uh, some the costs of some of the high profile uh, breaches. So here's a strategy. We talked a little bit about the objective. We talked about um, the uh, challenge, obstacles, the perils. Um, it's 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 all uh, uh, disheartening. But but there 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 is a way to uh, run the security business. Then uh, there's a strategy to do that. And and I'm a huge fan of frameworks. Uh, again, as I mentioned, I. Uh, enjoy the intersection between business and technology. And I like taking uh, uh, learnings from different domains and combining together and uh, coming up with a framework. Um, so this is the framework that I found useful. Uh, and again, to manage the business in a way that uh, you uh, you win the trust of the, of the company and you can uh, continue operating the business, not run into the uh not not be on the carousel and also not be uh not be churn. Uh, so the first one is around uh intelligence right so make sure that uh you are you are on top of uh, the threats that affect that are relevant to your business uh, so again there's a lot of information uh, but you need to figure out a way that you're staying on top of threats. Threat uh, security is continuously evolving, uh, and so you have to be on top of what are the threats that are relevant to your business. Now, uh, the second thing is uh, assessing where you stand. So you don't know where to go if you don't know where you stand. And so there's a few maturity models I'll reference, but essentially uh, figure out where you stand and create a plan of action. So um, there's a few uh, ones that I'm referencing here. Uh, OWASP has a maturity model for application security called OWASP-SAM. The Cloud Security Alliance has been doing good work uh, over the years for creating a maturity model for the cloud. I've used this uh, previously. And it gives you a common control framework that you can use across all the certifications that I talked about earlier. And so make sure you have a way that you can measure your business, also uh, stay on top of it in a repeatable way. And the last part is measure, right? Measure what matters. Um, so there's a concept called OKRs, which is objectives, key results, uh, and, um, and key results. And so uh, this is what many companies use. It, was, um, it became popular uh, with Google using it. Um, and so uh, this is how some companies pass down objectives laid out at the top level with each business unit. But um, adopt this. Adopt this in the security business so you, you are well aware of what are the, um, your key objectives that are aligned with the business so you know you're, again, running in the right direction. Um, and find a way to measure things. So this is something I've done. I've had a list of about 20 KPIs that I've used that uh, that measure every part of the business. I have a dashboard that measures things across the business. 
I'm not doing it piecemeal uh, based on uh, what is the short-term objective. I have a dashboard across the whole business. So this is, these, this is a strategy to make sure that you are managing the business in the same way in your role as we, as we are in this game, as a CISO to, uh, to make sure you're winning the trust of, and retaining the trust of the business. Uh, now that there's a new, this is a new challenge. And so, um, so you, and I, when I first looked at this, I thought I was looking at uh, e-commerce platform. When I uh, initially looked at this uh, model recently, uh, but there's something uh, now the, the, uh, the attacks have now evolved to a level uh, where ransomware is being offered as a service. Uh, so ransomware has evolved to a point where it's become efficient enough to go after small businesses. So previously when uh, attackers would uh, go for large amounts of ransom because the risk and the cost did not make sense, uh, they have uh, made it efficient to a point that they can go after a lot more small businesses. There's many businesses who are actively paying ransoms. There's the very few are publicly reported. As a result of this, there's a business consequence that the cost of cyber insurance is increasing. So this is this is a evolving area. Again, as I mentioned, cybersecurity continues to evolve sometimes drastically and this seems to be an area where uh, which is gaining gaining prominence where uh, smaller businesses sometimes uh, would shrug and say, I don't have a target on my back, I'm too small. Uh, but then it's, uh, it's starting to get to a point where uh, ransomware gangs can also go after smaller businesses and collect smaller ransoms and it's still efficient. Uh, so again, the tip for most businesses is do not DIY. Uh, again, as you reach to the case studies, you'll see why, but make sure you know your uh, local, uh, the agent at your local FBI office. You can you get help from uh, professionals and law enforcement and uh, do the right things uh, and uh, don't stay out of, stay out of trouble. Um, then uh, more challenges, right? And so we're talking about challenges. We talked about a framework, but uh, and I'm talking to a set of uh, bright students. Uh, so I want to introduce um, more challenges uh, that, that I see are facing the business. Hopefully some of you can come up with uh, some solutions for these uh, that can be adopted in the industry. Uh, so the challenge is keeping up with the uh, increase in materiality impact, right? So we, uh, so as I mentioned in that DevOps loop, we are finding a lot of vulnerabilities, uh, but the challenge is that the there's so many vulnerabilities being found that it's beyond any human to resolve, and uh, that's a big area uh, with uh, that that we need to get our heads around. Uh, the other thing we talked about risk, and we talk about the Fair Institute, uh, and risk scores are great. It helps with actuarial sciences. It helps with cyber insurance. It helps with communicating in terms of dollar amounts with the business. But again, they they alone don't result in breaches. And so we need to figure out how to uh, how to do that association between uh, risks and breaches or preventing them. Uh, the third area, of course, top of mind for everyone is AI. Uh, it's early technology. 
there's lots of challenges. There's challenges uh, with uh, data, uh, with plagiarism, uh, with hallucinations. Again, top of mind, uh, as a cybersecurity professional, uh, how do we... Um, how do we stay ahead of this uh, as has as happened in the past with SaaS or software as a service or with cloud, the business is going to adopt a technology that uh, is going to lead towards their business objective. And so cybersecurity professionals have to stay ahead of the game to make sure that it can help and handle the business uh, to adopt the technology uh, in a secure way. And the last thing is collaboration. Um, so cybersecurity is one of the areas that I found in, in my various roles in being in business and being in engineering um, uh, operations and security. I found that uh, cybersecurity professionals tend to collaborate a lot more. Uh, they learn, tend to network, learn from each other. Uh, but also what I've seen is that a lot of this collaboration happens over insecure platforms. So the question is, can we improve and accelerate uh, this collaboration so that you know the, the bad guys are working with each other the good guys uh, should be too uh, so again some great resources uh, to learn from um, around ai you have ovasp uh, doing some great work with the llm top 10 uh, the cisa working groups and ovasp are both open you should join them uh, you should read some of the work you should participate if you have time you'll, you'll uh, you'll get to work with a lot of great people and uh, learn a lot from it. Around collaborations, as has a traffic light protocol. Uh, uh, the European Union has uh, products for threat information exchange called MISP and some uh, standards around it. Um, so just um, finally, um, again, there's a lot of challenges I have introduced. Uh, this is a very interesting area for me. Uh, this is something that I enjoy doing, which is uh, helping uh, um, CISOs to stay ahead of threats uh, and stay in 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 scale, in step with their business and help a massive scale of the business. Uh, so thank you very much uh, for listening. And uh, I'll stop now to take questions. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, we have questions in the question and answer uh, section. Um, can you see them or do you yeah, I can see? I can see one. Yes, uh, there's one. Okay. So the question I'll, I'll read it out. Do you know of any specific examples where popular force projects were imprinted by bad actors? and used maliciously excluding other. Yes, there's, there's quite a few. There's actually, um, um, there's some websites which track, um, track the uh, projects being compromised and malware being introduced. Uh, so I'm happy to send, send links uh, to people offline. Okay, so the next question is uh, from Chris Malloy. How do you ensure your internal development teams are actually including security controls in their set? Uh, it says STM, going to assume STM means security development 
life cycle. Um, oh, so, so software development, sorry, I was not aware of that acronym. Um, okay, so as a, so, so there's two ways to do it. Um, uh, actually there's multiple ways to do it. And the first thing uh, that you start with is make sure that you're aligned uh, with the team. Um, so in most uh, so enterprise software companies, the the work that the development team is doing is decided by product management. Um, and the, so what you want to make sure that the uh, security issues that you're trying to resolve or the security objectives that you meet are aligned with the product management team. And this is, uh, in some companies, it's called non-functional, um, uh, non-functional tasks or non-functional projects. Uh, so this includes um, areas for automation. So if you're uh, doing automation using Terraform or you're doing uh, some kind of security integrations, um, say for credential management uh, or having a, a password vault. Uh, so this would be all non-functional requirements and you want to make sure that you have allocated cycles in the uh, sprints and the uh, epics and the uh, projects for that work. And that's that's one problem I typically see is that um, the security is coming too late in the cycle. So after the product is developed and it's ready to be shipped, and if you are doing testing and then you are introducing a security requirement, that's too late in the cycle. Um, and so you want to integrate as early as possible. And one of them is to make sure that uh, you are aligned. Uh, the other uh, other mechanism is through uh, CI/CD. Uh, so make sure that your security tools, uh, tools are integrated into the CI cycle, the continuous integration cycle. Um, there's lots of examples of this. There's popular um, source control projects, which will uh, run tests um, and uh, make sure your uh, the code that you're about to commit or post commit, you get a confirmation that the committed code is secure. So so that's it. So I would say two things. One, make sure you get the alignment, and the second, sure, make sure you introduce the tools and do them in a as seamless way as possible. So it's not including a tax or an overhead. No worries. Thank you. All right. Um, do we have more questions from audience? All right. Um, thanks again uh, for the great talk and the Q and A session. Um, I think uh, that that concludes this uh, seminar. Perfect. Thank you so much, Kazim. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye. Thanks. Take care. Bye. You too.